0: Last night or yesterday morning, I got up bright and early and I went to Saint Genevieve to see my family that's up there. I have a granddaughter that's very active and a daughter and a son in law up there that I love very much. And so I got up early and I drove a couple hours up and it was a beautiful drive and um, we had a really good day. Um, It's a little town that celebrates. Um, the people in it and the history of Saint Genevieve. If you've never gotten to go up there, go up there sometime when they're celebrating. And it was just all about Christmas yesterday and Christ, and um, just a good day. And as I got in the car, um, probably 6:30-ish, and and started to head this way, and I pulled off a 32 onto the interstate and. There on my left side was that big old supermoon just lighting up the glories of the heaven. I don't know if you saw that. You couldn't miss it if you were outside. And I began to thank the Lord for the day and the time that I had just shared with my family. And just a spirit, a sense, a covering of peace just came over me. I mean, it just soaked me. And the tears began to pop out. And I began to say, oh, God, thank you so much for your peace. And I told him, I said, Lord, you know, it's priceless. It is absolutely priceless. Now, that might not have meant a lot to you, but because of what I'd prepared for today, when Pastor told me um, he was going to be gone and asked me to speak, I knew that it was something special God had given me um, just to show that he really, truly is the Prince of Peace. And I appreciate you all coming today. And I know some of you may have come to hear Pastor Dwight and be disappointed a little bit, but The word is still the same, and so I pray that the word that, you know, last Sunday night if you were here, Pastor Dwight made a comment, and he directed it at me and another man um, that's speaking, and he said, keep in mind that your your message might be the last one someone hears. Well, no pressure there. But that's what I always try to do when God begins to speak to my spirit, and this message that I have for you today, this word, is something that God gave me some time ago. I didn't know when I would use it, so I've been kind of tweaking it for several weeks now, and and um, it's, as pastor loves to teach on the prodigal son, this is probably my favorite chapter, or this part of it, in Luke chapter 8, and that's where we're going to be going today if you want to get your scriptures ready to follow along, but... I understand um, more today than I've ever understood the gift of peace. We live in a world that's full of chaos and full of confusion. And sometimes we walk through that and we don't even realize that we've lost our peace. And as a Christian, as a believer, it's, it's a gift that God gave us um, at, at the cross. Um, if you go back and you read in Isaiah 53 and it shows all the different things that Jesus did on that cross, the work that he did, one of those things he did was it said he, that he took the chastisement for our peace. And that means he took the punishment and the, the cruelty and the ridicule that you and I could have peace. And I tell people when you're walking through life, and I don't care if it's on your job or in your family or any decision that you're making, I don't care if it's what road you're going to take going somewhere. If you don't have peace about it, don't do it. Let it be your indicator. Let it be your guide, because Holy Spirit will do that for you. He will give you a peace about something. If you're constantly having to justify it, you're constantly having to say, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that this is the right thing, then you know it's not peace. And I just that's an indicator that I've used for many years. And so I want to talk today. If I was gonna title this, it's called Peace Thieves. Peace thieves. And it, in the, in the John 10.10, 10, Jesus says in red, it's written in red, he says, the enemy comes for three reasons, and three reasons alone, to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came for a whole different reason. I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And so when an abundant life is one of peace, I, I mean, you can have a lot of money and not have peace. You can have the best job and the highest position in it and not have peace. I, I watch it every day of my life. I know it to be true. And that is not the what God came for. He did not come to kill us, to destroy us, or to steal from us what the cross gave us. And I think so many times as believers, we, we live beneath who we're supposed to be. And so today, I want to talk today about some, some things that might steal your peace, that's a thief of your peace. And in this, in this chapter today, um, and, and another scripture that I have down here on John 14, 27, here's what Jesus said, Peace I, have, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And he says, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So today, if you're here and your heart's troubled about anything, if there's fear in your spirit and you're afraid about anything, that's not of God. That's not what Jesus gave us. You can put that back on the other side who came to kill and steal and destroy your peace, your joy, and everything that good comes into your life. And we certainly have those conflicts in our life. We we live in a spirit world. If we don't want to admit it, It doesn't make it any different. We live in a spirit world that is at war. And so many times when we can't explain something or understand something, it really has nothing to do with you, but it's involving the spirits that are out there in the world fighting each other, and then we just wind up getting the drop off of it. And however it happens, we're not totally, um, it's not something we can't deal with. It's not something we can't change, and that's what I want to talk about today. What can we do? To get rid of the thieves of our peace and, and restore our peace, not just for today and Sunday church, but every day of our life, every moment of our day. And boy, t- today is it's just one of those times when um, when I watch the news and I listen to what's going on around us. The world does not have a lot of peace. If you're looking for peace in this world, you're going to have to look really hard to find it. Because... The really true peace does come from Jesus. And so let's get started in the scriptures. And I'm going to go ahead and read it, um, at the entire um, scripture. And it's, I'm going to read out of King James so it will match what's up there on the screen. Although I usually study out of the New King James, but I'm going to read this so it'll match. So let's start in verse 40. Just to give you a little background information, Jesus has just, prior to this story... He's been driven out of a country by the, the Gadarenes. Um, this is where he went to the tomb, and the man that they had tried to chain up because he was possessed with demons, and he would break the chains away, and they would tear his clothes off. And he lived out in the graveyard, out in the middle of nowhere, because he was so possessed with demons. And he had walked into this place, and Jesus said, What's your name? And he said, Legions. And he had that many demons in his spirit, and Jesus immediately set him free. But when he did it, the demons asked permission to go into the pigs, and when, they, when Jesus allowed that, it destroyed all the pigs. Well, that set the whole town on edge. I mean, they, and they literally came to Jesus and ran him out of town, said, we don't want you here, leave. So that's where he's at when he comes back in to the Galileans. So I wanted to kind of set that stage for you a little bit. So as he was coming in verse 40, and it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, The people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, or you may say Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him, and a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood staunched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? And when all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody's touched me, for I perceive that virtue's gone out of me. In verse 47, And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. And she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. And while he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to come in, save Peter, and James, and John, and the father, and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her, but he said, Weep not, she's not dead, but sleepeth. And in verse 53, they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out, and took her by the hand, and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done? I'm going to lay the these and nows down there and get out the one that I study. I love now. <laughs> so we learn in the very first verse, this verse 40, that when Jesus came anywhere he came, there was always a crowd waiting on him. And most of the time, it wasn't so much to worship him, but it was to get their needs met and see the miracles. They they crowded in shoulder to shoulder. There was they said multitudes. That's probably hundreds and maybe even thousands of people crowded there waiting on him. And, and we need to realize today that just like the gatherings, there's going to be people that will not accept Jesus, that will refuse him and run him off, and there will be people that will accept him and be waiting on him. And it's the same thing wherever we go. And we can't get discouraged about that because we, the Bible strictly says there will be those that will not receive Jesus, and there will be those that will. We've just got to always try our hardest to be in that part of the people that receive him and draw as many as we can with us into that group. That should be our focus because we're not Holy Spirit. I live with I, I live with and have unsaved people all around me all the time, and I used to try to preach to them and minister to them and beg them and and. Tell them that you know, you're going to die and go to hell, and, and, and it didn't work. And Holy Spirit would tell me, let me do my job and you do yours. And I had to learn to love them and live it in front of them Amen. and stop trying to make them be somebody I thought they should be because Jesus' timing is perfect. But when he came into this town, these people were like ready to see him. They were ready to see what was going to happen. And then we see Joris comes in. And he's a ruler of a synagogue. He would be the one on stage today. He would be the one reading the scriptures. He would be the one people would, would look up to and ask questions, religious questions about. But Jairus had a problem. He had a little girl, his only child. She was 12 years old. And she, he came to where he knew that a dying person might have a chance. So he traveled that day, and he came into the town, and he saw the crowd, but he got to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, my daughter's dying. Would you please come to my house? I love that he just immediately thought Jesus is going to come, and he's going to do his thing, and all's going to be well. What faith. So as he came in here, and we know he's on this urgent mission, he didn't realize at that moment that the grief and the fear of the sickness And the the fear of losing his daughter was all just a temporary circumstance. It was all just temporary. He didn't realize that. I want everybody in here to say temporary circumstance. It was just a temporary circumstance. But he did not know that at that time. So he went to where he had to go to get help. And he didn't hesitate. He didn't come up to Jesus and say, you know what, Jesus, I know you're busy, but I need you. My daughter's dying, and I know you're the healer. I know you can take care of her. No, no, this man that was in a leadership position, he got down on his knees. This is the tricky part. And he looked up to Jesus, the Bible says, and he was trembling, and he begged him, Jesus, please, my only child is dying. If you don't come, she's not going to live. I love my daughter. I need you. We, we can't do it ourselves. but I trust you, and I believe in you, and I'm begging you. I'm begging you, please come to my house. When you get desperate for Jesus you won't care what you look like and you won't care what you sound like and I'm going to tell you when it's your baby (laughs) you'll get desperate when you know there's a need I can remember one time when I was on the fourth floor of Barnes Hospital with my child and we needed a touch and we were in this big room and there was children all around it that had problems and I was staying there with mine, and many of the children were left without a parent. And I stayed with mine. And there came a day when I had to get somewhere that I could meet with Jesus. And I grabbed a Gideon Bible out of the hospital table there. And I went down to the bottom floor where the public restrooms are. And I got in a stall. And I began to beg. And there was no shame to where I was or how I sounded. I just had to get along with him, and ask for his help. And that's where this man was today. He knew that he had to get Jesus' attention, where it took. And when desperate situations happen, you're going to get desperate. It's just that simple. Will, when life hits us, we won't be so um, proper. I don't know how many of y'all know the song "Mercy Me." Put out called even if it's a very very song and I loved it the first time I heard it but I loved it even more the day I was driving down the road and they were interviewing the, the main singer and he was telling where that song come from and he had a son that was 15 years old that had been diagnosed with severe diabetes and they were doing all they could and it was not stopping that diabetes it was getting worse and worse and worse and his son needed help And he said, I went to a friend's house, and I was sharing with him my situation. And he said, I began to tell him, you know, even if it doesn't happen the way I see it, I'm still going to trust in the Lord. And they began to talk him back and forth. And his friend said, there's a song in that. And he began to write that song, even if. And I thought to myself, oh, my, we think these songs just come down out of heaven, and they write them, but nope. This man was desperate, and that song was born out of a desperate situation just like ours will be at times. And so the multitudes were gathered all around Jesus, and the crowds were like shoulder to shoulder. You were barely able to move. And here was this dad in a hurry to get Jesus to his house. He was not asking him to linger. He didn't ask him to wait for lunch and then go. But what happens? Then what happens? Jesus stops. All of a sudden, he stops. And in verse 43, it talks about a woman that had been sick for 12 years and this woman was at the back of the crowd somewhere and she was watching all of these people shoulder to shoulder and she thought I've spent every dime I've got I've went to every doctor I know to go to and I am still sick this is my last hope I've got to get to Jesus and amazingly She thinks, the only way I'm gonna do this is to crawl through those legs and push people out of my way. If I could just get to the hem of his garment, if I can just get there. And then people would step in front of her and she'd have to kind of guide her way over here. And then she would, oh, if I can just get there and touch him, nobody will know. I'll just do it in the middle of the crowd. And she reached out and she touched her garment, his garment, and immediately, immediately she felt that healing come over her. She thought she'd got by with it. I know she had to have been rejoicing. Did you notice? She didn't care how she had to get there. She was desperate. She finally got to Jesus and touched the hem of his robe that he was wearing. Here you had two desperate situations encountering Jesus at the very same time, and her need interrupted Jairus' need. Sometimes that happens in life. Sometimes you're the desperate one. Somebody walks up to you and like, I need help. I need your prayers. I need your time. I need you to be with me. Help me. And you have to lay your desperate need aside. First, I'm I'm sure he was sitting there, that daddy with that baby dying, saying, what lady are you talking about? Because Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? And everybody's looking around at each other. because Nobody's going to admit it. And here we are, shoulder to shoulder. Who touched me? And the disciples said, Jesus, look around. I mean, people are touching you like everywhere. And this little old lady was trembling back here, and she was hiding. She did not want to make a spectacle of herself. And I'm sure throughout her sickness she'd been shamed and humiliated and ostracized because of her sickness for 12 years. Jesus said, who touched me? Because it wasn't just an in-your-crowd touch. The touch I'm feeling was faith touch. Because virtue went out of me. Healing went out of me. It wasn't just a normal touch. Have you ever brushed against someone and thought that felt different So she gets she gets up and she says okay Jesus I admit it I'm the one I touched the hem of your garment And immediately I was healed And in that verse um Jesus said, verse 48, he said, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in. Peace. So here's Jara still standing over here going, Really? I was here first. She wasn't dying. My daughter's dying. I'm still waiting my turn. And I'm sure he was getting pretty upset. I'm sure that he was saying, You know, Something's got to give here. And about that time, we said temporary circumstances before. I want you to say something else with me. Temporary interruption. Say it. Temporary interruption. Charles' circumstances were temporary. This interruption was a temporary thing. But at this point in time, it wasn't temporary to him. This was life and death. Okay, so right about that time, here comes some of his friends in verse 49. While Jesus was speaking to this lady, giving her the, you go, girl, your face got you healed, go in peace, you're good. Right at that same moment, here comes people from the ruler, Jairus' house, and they say to him, Jairus, too late, your daughter's dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Don't bother the teacher, it's too late. In every desperate situation, there will come a time when you're going to have to decide, am I going to believe what I come for? or am I going to allow somebody else to say something that's going to take away my belief. And you're going to have to have your mind made up before the desperate situation hits, before the storm hits, before life hits you. You better know who you're going to put your faith in. Who's going to keep you in peace? Who are you going to depend upon? Because I promise you there will be naysayers that will believe totally different, and they're going to come to you and say, that's not going to happen. When they tell you you've got stage four cancer, and and you're ate up with it, and they, they sew you back up because there's no hope, and you've been told that you serve a God that heals, you can prove it by word that he heals, and you can ask for it, and he'll give it. What are you going to believe? What are you going to believe? And you better know before that desperate situation comes, because you're not going to make your mind up right there in the, on the spot. Jairus had to have hesitated because when Jesus heard what they said, he answered him and he said, "Don't be afraid. Only believe. She's going to be okay." So who are you going to believe? The people you know that you live with, that was with your daughter, has come and given you a report. She's dead. Don't bother him anymore. And Jesus is standing there going, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. What are you going to believe? So that's when the decision is made. See, the thing about it is you can be in the middle of a crowd, and you can be asking for something, but there's no assurance that just because, just because you come to church today and there's a pretty good crowd here, there's no assurance that that blessing's going to fall on you. Not because you're in the crowd. Joris didn't come for the crowd to get his blessing. He was counting on one person and one person alone. And when you come into God's house, it better not be Dwight Hensley or Amy Blau or anybody else that's speaking up here that you're going to put your hope and your trust and your faith in. 'Cause we're just messengers. Your your desperate situation is going to require one person and one alone. And he says, "I'll do it for you if you'll believe." So anyway, when Jesus heard it, and he he assured him, they took off. They took up traveling. Temporary circumstances. Temporary. What I say. Interruption. Now we got temporary information. It was really false evidence. It was really false evidence. It wasn't even the truth. It was temporary information. They thought she was dead. So here they go traveling. And and when he came to the house, it says he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John and the mom and dad of the girl. So when they get there, when you're in your desperate situation, who are you going to keep with you in your inner circle? Are you? Because people that say they're believers sometimes will curse you faster than anybody. And there's going to be times when you stand and you ask a crowd of people like today, I got a problem and I need you to pray. And probably, maybe, three out of each section if you're lucky. We'll spend some time the next week really praying. You put on Facebook, I need your prayers. You're not going to see me respond unless I will own it and commit to it. I don't just ask anybody to pray for me. My friend that was diagnosed with a stage four cancer, she said, I had to rebuke my own mom. She said, I had to tell her, I, I don't want to hear that. I don't want you speaking death over me because I'm telling you, when they say stage four cancer, people's already planning your funeral. So what are you, who, are you, who are you going to put in your inner circle? Even the Son of God was smart enough to pick and choose who who's going to have around him when he needs something done. Please don't come up and lay your hands on me up here when the pastor says, "If you've got faith, come up, please don't do that if you really don't believe. Don't take someone else's spot. It's just the truth. It's sweet. You can hug me on the way out, but when I really, really have a desperate situation and I really, really need something done, I really, really want someone that's going to believe with me and they're not going to back down. And that's what Jesus told Jairus. He said, "We're going to go in here and we're going to get this taken care of." And I I love on verse 52. He says, "Now all wept and mourned for her, for they and and they just they were just they were mourning and grieving over something that wasn't even the truth. They were already burying the little girl." They were mourning her, grieving over something that wasn't even the truth. We get ahead of God sometimes. We just get ahead of Him sometimes. And we give up, and then we just own it. And we just let it happen. And God all the time is saying, wait on me! And that's what He told them. He said, don't weep, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And verse 53 said they ridiculed Jesus. Now we know why He didn't want them in there with Him. He knew they didn't believe. He knew their hearts. And, and it says they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called and said, Little girl, arise, and her spirit returned. And I love it in verse 56 when it says, And her parents were astonished. Jesus wants to astonish us. It's easy to have faith and believe God's word when things are going pretty good, when we have everything we need, and we're in those seasons where life is good. But when life begins to dump on you, when you get that report, that medical report, um, when I, I had a young lady I work with this week, and her husband lost his job this week. And, I mean, he, he made good money. He was a manager in a position, and, and they fired him. And I don't know any, any of the circumstances, but I've been in that place, too, when my husband walked in and said, they're closing the doors. I'm not going to have a job in a few weeks. I've been there, too. It's a desperate situation. If you've ever been there, you can nod and say, yeah, I know exactly what you're meaning, but you know what? It's all just temporary information because you know what? Every step of every direction that we've went, no matter what it was, Jesus would continue to give me peace. And and we've lost our peace as a body of Christ. We've lost our peace when people begin to fight and bicker and, and talk about each other in a church. We've lost our peace, and it's dangerous, and it's not what Jesus wants. Because he died as much for our salvation and our healing. He died for our peace. And there's no excuse for it and there's no justification of it. And I didn't even have that in my notes. But Jesus wants us, just like Brother Red Cloud preached today in Sunday school, he wants us in one mind and one accord, in unity. It's the only way we're going to have peace. And we don't have any answers for the world if we can't walk in peace ourselves. And there's no need of us even pretending that we are. Your circumstances, your situation changes by what you believe and what you speak. You're in control of this when you team up with Jesus Christ and you can stand and say, I don't care what the doctor says because I got a call this week. And MD Anderson said, our scans are showing something totally different. Your cancer is very small and it's contained and it's not attached to anything. And she said, I had to share it with him. I've had no treatments, no medicine. It's the prayers of the faithful believing on my behalf that did it. She kept her peace, and she gave the glory to who astonished her. Jesus wants to astonish you. And the thing about it is, I want to plant something in your mind. It's not about us liking each other or doing great things. But here's how we see our life. And this is how we make decisions. If if this was a picture of your life, this is about the size that we put. We don't think we're real significant. We don't think we're very valuable. But you know what? This is the size that Jesus and Satan sees you. And this is why the fight's there. This is why we we see ourselves here, here, but they're seeing us this size. You're huge. You're valuable. There's huge things for you to do in the body of Christ. Every one of you. But we see ourselves this size. What difference is it going to make if I'm at church or not? I'm not important. And Satan's looking and going, i got to make sure they get up feeling bad because I really know how valuable they are to the church. Amen. And you're thinking, cancer runs in my family. Heart disease runs in my family. I'm going to die of it too. And Satan's going, i got to persuade them to keep believing that when Jesus is going, uh-uh, I died and I took away those sicknesses and diseases. I'm their healer. See, we see ourselves in different sizes and different values, and this is the only way I knew how to explain it to you, that this is not you. This is you. And a big price was paid for you to live this way. It's all temporary, guys. It's all temporary. But Jesus is permanent. Everything I've walked through in my life, I got through it. And I put it behind me, and I could have peace in it. But you have to fight for that peace. You gotta fight to keep it once you get it. But Jesus is your source, He's the one that can do it. He's the one that, I'm telling you, you just gotta, sometimes you just gotta get on your knees and crawl through the crowd to get it. Sometimes you just gotta get alone to get it. But it's available to us. And I don't know what you're dealing with today that, that Jesus wanted this word spoken. But, but if this, this might be the last message you hear. God forbid, but it might be. And if it is, I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you will not have that peace that surpasses all understanding, that you just can't understand. How can I have peace when when I'm facing this? How can I have peace when my husband says, I don't love you anymore? How can I have peace when they say, I'm firing you, you don't have a job anymore? How can I have peace? You can, but it won't be through the world. It'll only come through one way, and that's through Jesus. And if he's not your Savior, your personal Savior, if you don't have a relationship with him, you will not get it any other way. I'm not going to lie. You can't buy it. You can't, your great-grandma that prayed for you can't lay her hands on it to you and give it to you. She just can't. Amen. It comes through Jesus, and you accepting him. And if you're here today and that's you, I want you to know it's available to you. It's easy. And Nick, as you all start coming on up, and then the Christians, I know without a doubt because I've talked to some of you, you're dealing with some stuff. And it's taking your peace from you. And you don't know what you're going to do. And you're fighting for your peace every day. And today I just want to tell you you may have to do some crawling. You may have to do some begging. But I'm telling you, if you'll believe and you'll give it to Jesus, He says, I'll take it. And He says, I'll restore your peace to you. And I'll see you through whatever comes your way. He promised me, he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. No matter what you go through, you may have to go through some stuff. Life may dump on you. People may dump on you. And Jesus says, things are going to happen. He said, it happened to me. You're going to deal with it too. But I promise you, you're going to overcome this world. And I'll let you walk in through peace doing it. So today I want to ask you, what is it that you're dealing with? What is it that has been a temporary circumstance in your life that seemed permanent. It's been there so long you can't even figure it out yourself anymore. What has been in your life that has been the temporary um, interruption that you thought things were going great, and then all of a sudden, Beth, all of a sudden it all falls apart. It was just a temporary interruption. That's all it was. What about the information that's been given you that you just don't want to accept? It's just temporary information. So are you going to pick it up and take it and own it? Are you going to say, you know what? I'm bigger than that. With Jesus Christ as my Savior, I'm important in the kingdom. I can't spend time living in fear and doubt. When Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. You will never understand it, but it's there for you. So everybody bows their head just for a few minutes. I want to ask you, if, if you don't know the Lord is your Savior, I mean, I've wasted all my time if I don't give you a moment to own that because his peace is for you too. And it starts with forgiveness of your sins, being your best friend, always being there for you. He'll see you through anything. If that's you today, I'm to ask you to just stand where you're at.